Radio. Mary in Scriptures, Part 2. A talk by Paul Ellard at the Immaculata Mission School 2017, held at the Launceston Church Grammar School in Tasmania. We now want to look at Mary in Scripture. People say, oh, Mary can't be important. She, she didn't say much in Scripture. She hardly speaks at all. Mary's greatness is not dependent upon what she says in Scripture. Mary's greatness depends upon what she does in Scripture. Every major event of Jesus, Mary was present. And don't forget this. Who wrote the infancy narratives of, of Luke and Matthew's Gospel? Who told Luke and Matthew all those instances of what happened to Jesus' early life? It had to be Mary because there's nobody else around. St. Joseph had died by this point. And, and do you realize why St. Joseph had to die? St. Joseph had to die before Jesus because St. Joseph was the heir of King David and Jesus had to come, the Messiah had to come from that Davidic line. And if Joseph was still alive, it would not have allowed Jesus to be the heir. Interesting point, isn't it? I only read that quite recently. Okay, so um, we just want to, just a quick little scripture thing, just because we want to look at scriptures, we need to approach it with the right understanding. The Catechism teaches us that the Bible should be interpreted through the literal sense and through the spiritual sense. Two levels, literal. What do we mean? Well, we sometimes use the expression, oh, that those guys take the Bible literally. That's not what we're talking about here. The literal sense means what the author wrote and what he intended, what, what he literally intended. So there's a meaning there, right? But we also, the church also teaches there's another layer called the spiritual layers and there we have hidden things and saint augustine puts it beautifully when he says the new testament lies hidden in the old and the old testament is unveiled in the new why are we saying that because i want to look at a scripture in genesis and when it was written it was not written about jesus and mary but the inspired author, unknowingly, the way he wrote it, God, who is the principal author of Scripture, did have this meaning within it. So we're going to look at Genesis 3.15. And the early church fathers call this the Proto-Evangelium, the first statement of the Gospel. Adam and Eve had just sinned. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Satan in other words, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will strike at your head while you strike at his heel. Okay, we've got Satan. We've got the woman. We've got the offspring of the woman, who is Jesus, right? And we've got the offspring of Satan. Ooh, that's a bit scary. We'll come back to that. Remind me if I forget. So, I will put enmity, it's just like a war, between you, Satan, and the woman. We're not sure who the woman is, but we read on and we get the answer. Between your offspring and hers, he, your, the, the woman's offspring, will strike at your head 
while you strike at its heel. So if you get hit in the heel, you go down, but three days later, you come out of hospital, right? If you get hit in the head, you're in the morgue. That's it. You're gone. So in other words, the whole of the story of salvation is here. There's going to be a war between Satan and the woman and the woman's offspring. And the woman's will strike and crush the head of the serpent. Now, I'm sure that some of the seminarians will challenge me and say, well, hang on, some interpretations say he, some say she, you know. <laughs> right? Okay, now, we don't want to get too heavy with this, but um, it depends on what translation. But for me, it's very simple. We look at the statue of Our Lady, which is how Our Lady appeared um, to uh, St. Catherine Labore, and she's standing on the head of the serpent. If you've got a miraculous medal on, you can check it later. I did have a photo. Anyway, you can see it there. So, why is this important? This is important because if Mary, for one moment, is under the control of Satan, that makes God's promise false. And that's not true. Okay, let's go now to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelations. Serpent now has become very powerful. He's a dragon. Scripture says, Then the dragon became angry with the woman and went to war against the rest of her offspring. Oh, does that mean Jesus had brothers and sisters? No, no, it doesn't. Who is the rest of her offspring? It's very simple. The next line tells us, those who keep God's commandments and bear witness to Jesus. So all those who keep God's commandments and bear witness to Jesus are children of Mary. Hands up all those who are children of Mary. Wonderful. Don't need to convince you anymore. We'll wrap it up here. And so this tells us who is the offspring of Satan. No, not little kids with horns on their heads. It's just those who do not keep God's commandments and who do not bear witness to um, Jesus. Okay, the Annunciation. You've heard this many, many times before. Let's hope we can open it up a bit for you. And he, that's the angel Gabriel, came to her, Mary, and said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I have no husband? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. We should just go, Oh. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. We've heard it before. Let's go back. The angel comes to Mary and says, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Does that sound familiar? 
The Hail Mary. Thank you. Thank you. What's missing? Her name. Now, I'm no Greek scholar, but I have it on authority of scripture scholars that the angel deliberately did not use her name, but used her title. The correct way to pull this out in English so we get the meaning, it's hail you who have been and still are full of grace. It's got that past and present moment. And instead of saying Mary, it's like her function. I work in AV. I sell audio video equipment, right? So it'd be like the... The angel coming up to me, or not the angel, but like father coming up to me and say, hello, you who sell AV equipment. Yeah. And he just called me Paul, you know. He, the angel doesn't to draw a focus on what's really happening here. This is an incredible moment. Can you imagine? We've had the four. We've got how, how many years you want to put forward until this moment. All of heaven must have just been like this, waiting for this 14-year-old girl to say yes so that God's plan can be done. I mean, think about it. The entire universe is going to be changed forever with the yes of a 14-year-old girl. Let it be done to me. Don't underestimate the importance of Mary. And Mary said, how can this be since I have no husband? Now, isn't that a bit strange? We read in the other Gospels that Mary was engaged to Joseph. If you were engaged to someone, I said, and the angel came and said, you're going to have a baby? You go, oh, great, Joseph and I, we've been looking forward to this. Why would you say, how can this be? I mean, it would be the most stupid question to ask, how can this be, if we were engaged in the normal sense of understanding? It only makes sense if Mary and Joseph had taken some kind of promise of virginity. Now, it wasn't common in those times, but it did exist in small pockets. But anyway, that's what's happening, right? Now, the angel says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. There we see the relationship between Mary and the Holy Spirit. Mary's response, let it be done to me according to your words. You didn't just say, oh, okay. (laughs) You know, you imagine, look, this is going to happen. Oh, yeah, okay, I'll go along with that. Let it be done to me, a full yes. And that's what we're called to do, and it's what uh, Sister Mary Emanuel was calling us to surrender to God in that full yes and mean it. And when you do, big things happen for the good. I want to go back to this. You know, the angel says, do not be afraid, Mary. And if I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times, and I, it just frustrates me. Somebody will say, oh, Mary was afraid of the angel, you know. She wasn't afraid of the... Where does it say she was afraid of the angel? Let's look at this because it's worth looking at. The angel appears to her and greets her with this unusual greeting. Hello, you who have been and still are full of grace and by her function, not her name, right? That's a huge flattery. You know what the first thing in Mary's mind is? 
is this some demonic spirit trying to tempt me with pride? Right? She was greatly troubled at the saying because she saw an angel. No, and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. It was the greeting that troubled her. And when you understand the greeting, we lose a bit in English, but when you understand it properly, you can see why. And the angel says to her, do not be afraid. You have found favour with God. And behold, you conceive. So you know the story. All right, let's move on. Typology. Anyone know what typology is? Okay, typology is a biblical concept when a person or a thing is prefigured in the Old Testament in preparation for the fullness of that message in the New Testament. And we have typology all through the scriptures. One of the examples, <laughs> put your binoculars on, okay. Um, one of the examples uh, is Moses is a form of Christ. So in the Old Testament, Moses is a typology of Christ. Let me just read you a few of them, right? This is Moses on the left. This is Christ on the right. Moses, an evil king tried to kill him as a baby. Herod tried to kill the baby Jesus. He was hidden from this evil king. The angel said to hide the child. He was saved by women, his mother, Miriam, his sister, and Pharaoh's daughter. Mary helped save Jesus and other women helped Jesus. Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, adopted him. Joseph adopted him. Moses was a prince. Jesus is the prince of peace. Long period of silence from youth to adulthood. Long period of silence. You get the thing, right? It just goes on and on. It's absolutely really fascinating to to study. And that's just one example, right? So Moses is a shadow of the reality that was to come with Jesus. Where do we find typology with Mary in the Old Testament? Well, we look to the Ark of the Covenant. You remember that? Dun, 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 dun. Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, right? We, we had, we had, Father knows it, has the Ark of the Covenant, right? The Ark of the Covenant was the most sacred thing in the Old Testament. The most sacred thing. It looked like this. It was a box. And in this box, it was lined with gold. Um, It contained the Ten Commandments. It contained Aaron's rod. And it contained a jar of the manna. You know, the manna that they ate in the desert. And this this is the Ark of the Covenant. It was lined, it was so holy you couldn't touch it. You had to use these rods to carry it, and it had to be carried on the shoulder. And only the high priests were allowed to carry this thing. Here's other photos to get an idea of what it was like. It was really quite a man. And the two cherubs on the top. So if your Protestant friends say, Where do you Cathy's get this idea of statues and stuff? Well, God actually commanded it in the Old Testament to put it on top of the Ark of the Covenant. But that's another story. So how do we connect Mary with this? Well, in Scripture, we go to Revelations and we read this. God's temple in heaven was opened and the Ark of his covenant could be seen in the temple. Now, you've got to, you've got to get this, right? This is John writing this. The Ark of the Covenant, when John had written this, had been missing for 500 years. still is missing. So 
it was the most sacred thing in Jewish history. They would love to know where it is. So when John writes this, he can see the, the Ark of the Covenant. If you're a Jewish reader at the time, you're getting really excited. Oh, you can see the Ark of the Covenant. Where, where is it? Tell us. What is it like? What is it like, John? And he says, there were flashes of lightning, rumbles, pearls of thunder, an earthquake, a violent hailstorm, and a great sign appeared in the sky. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Mary is the Ark of the Covenant. Let's, let's, um, let's have a look at it again. We said the Ark, inside the Ark was what? The Ten Commandments. What did Mary carry inside her? The baby Jesus. He is the law. He is the new law. Inside the ark was Aaron's rod, a sign of authority. Baby Jesus is the king of kings, the ultimate authority. Inside the ark was the manna from heaven. Mary carries the Eucharistic Jesus, eternal food. Does it blow you away? The ark was made of imperishable wood. Mary's made without sin. No one can touch this ark. Believe me, if you can argue, you can say, well, hang on, it's not really the ark, it's what's in the ark. Well, you can say that, but the ark still was holy. You can say the same to Mary. You can't just say, oh, it's not Mary, it's just Jesus that was in Mary. That's not scripture. If you look at the Old Testament, you can say what you like, but the bottom line is the ark is holy. Let me read you what happened. Only the priestly tribe of Levites were allowed to carry the ark. Aaronites were allowed to touch it, but only once a year. And the ark was so powerful and so pure and so holy that they were kind of afraid to put it in their camp. So they put it out in a separate tent. And when the high priest went in once a year, he used to tie a rope around his foot in case he went in there and he was struck dead. They would just pull out the body and they wouldn't have to actually go in and get him. This is from 2 Samuel 6.5. And King David and all the house of Israel were making merry before the Lord with their might of their songs, lyres and harps and tambourines, castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nakar, Azar put out his hand on the ark of God to hold it because the oxen stumbled. Right? So you might, and you know what happened to him when he put his hand? The anger of the Lord was enkindled and Azar was struck dead. Right? Right beside the ark. You might think, oh, that's a bit tough. Poor guy was just trying to stop it from falling and he got struck dead. He's not supposed to have it on the back of a mule. He's supposed to be carrying it and honouring it. And if he didn't, he was struck with physical death. In the New Testament, if you dishonour Mary, you'll get struck with spiritual death. May not be physical death, but spiritual death. Why is it that we carry the... Go to Lourdes or Fatima, you'll see the statue of Mary carried on the shoulder. It's straight out of the Old Testament. Ark of the Covenant in procession. A lady appeared in Lourdes and said, and both in Fatima, have the people come in procession with, uh, with her statue. 
And this is where we get it from, straight out of the Bible. It's not, my, it's not some Catholic quirky thing. Oh, don't forget the walls of Jericho. The ark had power, right? So what did they do, the Israelites? They walked around the walls of Jericho playing the songs of praise seven times and down come the walls. The ark has real power. You show me a parish that's got devotion to Mary and I'll show you a parish that's doing something. Look at this community again. I keep saying that, but it never ceases to amaze me. The sisters of Blase, they're amongst it all the time. I come down twice a year and I see it and I just go, this is incredible what's happening here, you know. You know, the temple in, in Jerusalem, the ark was kept in there. That's where it was. That's the purpose it was built for, this thing. And it got destroyed and it's um, all that's left of the original temple is one wall of it. But really, it's only, I think, one or two bricks that are the actual original and the rest have been redone. And, you know, I went there and I, I couldn't help thinking... This is the holiest shrine in Judaism. You go there and the Jews are very devout with their praying and the little scripture box on their head. And I just thought, gee, I didn't, I didn't mean to be, to be critical, but I just saw the richness of our own faith. That's the most sacred thing they have in their, in their tradition, a wall of bricks. What? Why? Because the ark used to be in there. What do we have? We have the body of Christ. Oh, my goodness. Just while I'm on it, you know, like a friend of mine, she's a sister now, but she, she, when she was a Eucharistic minister, she used to tell me, she said, I give people the body of Christ. I say the body of Christ. And, you know, this should be fear. And I've had, I know two people who confided in me that when they were giving out the Eucharist, the Eucharist turned to a heart, pulsating heart. One one girl said to me, it was so distracting. She said, I knew I could see it, but it was so distracting. She said, I, I nearly I, I nearly stopped giving out communion. But the real presence, it's real, right? It's like the body of Christ. And my friend tells me, she has, people come up and go, thanks, love. Body of Christ, thanks, love. Go, thanks, love. Like, <sighs> I'll tell you this story. I know we're diverting a bit, but I feel prompted to share it with you. I had another priest I knew who came. His father was a Baptist minister. I said to him, how did the son of a Baptist minister become Catholic priest? He said, I was telling me this story. And he said, you know, one time I had, uh, before I became Catholic, or I think he was just become or just about to become Catholic, and he was telling his girlfriend what Catholics believe about the real priest. This is the real body of Jesus. And you know what she said? She said, that's a load of rubbish. She said, if I was Catholic. If, if, if I thought that was the real body of Jesus, she said, I would crawl on my hands and knees to receive the Eucharist. Oh, my goodness. Here's somebody who doesn't believe but has got the understanding. Now, if that's really true, then it, it demands this response, not thanks, love, you know. Anyway, we'll divert. But let's push on. Let's go to the wedding of Cana. This is lovely, okay? Um, you know the story. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. When the wine ran short, the mother said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, how does your concern affect me? My hour has not yet come. 
His mother turned to the servers and said, Do whatever he tells you. Jesus did this as the beginning of his signs in Cana in Galilee and so revealed his glory and the disciples began to believe in him. Let's look at this. First of all, woman. Jesus refers to Mary as woman. You hear people say, oh, look, you know, Jesus did it here and on the cross. Put Mary in his place. Look, look, woman, you know, like, no, 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 no. Woman is this Genesis 3.15 title. If you like, I heard someone say it's her royal title. The woman is Mary's royal title. It's the woman who is going to crush the head of the serpent. So when he says to her woman, it is not a put down. Okay? So, let's think about it. This is the first miracle scripture tells us that Jesus did. And again, I like to do this because it helps sort of get it clear. Imagine if you and I were planning. We say, Jesus is, is going to start his first miracle. What do you reckon? How do we reckon we should get it set up? And, then, you know, what should we have the cameras there? And how would we do it? Well, let's have him raise someone from the dead or feed the 20,000 or, or at least make a blind man see something big, you know, first impression stick and all the, we can, all the human logic we can go for. But no, that's not the way. Jesus is going to do a miracle. Why? Because they drank too much. <laughs> they did. They did. It, they ran short, right? It didn't, didn't say there was no wine. Oh, the delivery man didn't come. We've got no wine. No, no. They just, they ran short. Now, so what are we talking about here? We're talking about embarrassment, right? The bride and groom are going to get embarrassed, Come on, give me a break. Is this going to be Jesus' first miracle to save someone embarrassment? Yes, it is. Why is this important? Because you and I sometimes think, ah, oh, Jesus is trying to, we've got the world wars going on and people suffering, and I'm just trying to get through my exam. Not very important. If it's important to you, it's important to Jesus, it's important to Mary. Your prayer is never too small to bring to Jesus with confidence. He's got unlimited power. And as he says to Faustina, I desire to give much, very much. Okay? So this is what happens. And it, it's, this is beautiful here. It's like mother and son. He says, you know, let, 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 give me a bit of liberty here. But this is the way I see it, right? Hey, Jesus, they've run out of wine. Woman, why, why are you asking me this? We've talked about this many times before. This is not the way I'm going to start my, my, um, my ministry. Oh, yeah, but, you know, you know. Oh, anyway, what does she do? She turns to the servers and says, do whatever he tells you. Wink, wink, do it for your mother, you know. Uh, and he, she still submits to his authority. He still could have said, no, I'm not going to do it, right? But she knows his heart. She knows his heart. She knows it's not the time. But she asked and he does it. Now, it raises a good question. Did, did Mary actually talk Jesus into doing something that he didn't want to do? Well, no, because the, God's will must reign. And So what does it mean? I don't know. This is my theory. A priest might give a more intelligent answer. But the way I look at it is this. The bride and groom did not merit having this miracle done at their wedding. right? But Mary, with her infinite merits, 
looks at him and says, do it for your mother. And he says, okay. And it's done to teach us that Mary is a powerful intercessor. That's why it's in scripture and for us to start loving his mother like he does. Okay. This is beautiful. This is, uh, there's an understanding in, in scripture. It says, Jesus is the new Adam. If Jesus is the new Adam, then Mary is the new Eve. Again, this is this kind of typology thing again, right? And this is a beautiful painting. I just saw it recently and I loved it, right? Here's Eve in shame, eating the fruit that she wasn't supposed to eat. She's now entwined with the serpent. Satan has got her and she's kind of sad and broken. But now she comes to the new Eve, Mary. Mary's pregnant with child. She reaches out to the child because this is the salvation of the world. This child is going to correct the mess that her and Adam got into. And Mary just, without even looking, is just stepping on the head of the serpent. That's it. You know? So I think that's beautiful. So again, what we see in Old Testament typology, what we see in the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament to a fuller and a greater and a perfected degree. So Moses is a type of Jesus. Jesus comes, all those typology things are perfected in a new way. Mary is Ark of the Covenant. All those things that were an item and now a living person is fulfilled in the New Testament. We take this now, Mary as the new Eve, right? So, uh, uh, oh, by the way, this, this teaching that Mary is the new Eve is very ancient. In fact, it's, it was around even before the Trinity was officially declared. So it, it's an ancient thing. It's not something made up new times. The importance of this doctrine cannot be understated. So anyway, look, we could go off for an hour just on that. But I just wanted to show you that beautiful image and the whole concept of Mary as new Eve. If the Old Testament Eve, now remember, Eve was not born with original sin. Why? Because they hadn't sinned yet, right? Eve was created with perfection and free from all sin. Then we should expect that the new Eve would be in a more fuller way and a more glorious way. Again, it's just so biblical. Eve, Eve's sin brought death to the world. Mary's sinlessness brought life to the world. Can you see it? It's just, the more you go into this, it's people say, where's Mary in scripture? Where's Mary not in scripture? It's just packed full of it, right? Okay, let's move on to Luke. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the infant leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud voice and said, Most blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how does this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For at the moment the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the infant in my womb leapt for joy. Okay, so we know it, we've heard it so many times. But let's look at it because it's quite interesting. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and she cries out, Blessed are you among women. We could paraphrase that. Praise be Mary. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. We could paraphrase that. Praise be Jesus. So, according to Scripture, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you should be able to say, praise be Mary, praise be Jesus. If you can't say that, 
According to Scripture, you might have to question, is it the Holy Spirit or some unholy spirit? And what's interesting about this, in Scripture, the order of things is always important. Every list of Scripture you see, Peter first, Judas last, right? Look at this. Blessed are you, Mary, among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Mary is first before Jesus. That's a huge thing. What's going on here? Well, this is a scripture. It's infallible scripture. It's not wrong. There's a lesson here. Perhaps the lesson is that the Holy Spirit's trying to teach us we need to honour Mary. And by putting her first, it puts it in our face and makes us realise this. How does this happen, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? I used to belong to a parish, and we'd all say the rosary Saturday after Mass, and there was one guy who used to, we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of Jesus, pray for us sinners. I think every Hail Mary, Mother of Jesus, I think, what is your problem? Because <laughs> it's really distracting to have this one voice saying Mother of Jesus and saying Mother of God. I never spoke to the guy, but I suspect it was very similar to my mum's friend who used to say, no, no, Eileen, it's not mother of God, it's mother of Jesus. So we need to look at this. First of all, in here, Elizabeth says, mother of my Lord. Well, um, just for interest's sake, there are 720 times in the Bible where the word Lord, this is kairos in, in Greek, is used. And 90% of the time, it refers to the divinity. So you can have Lord as in like a, you know, a, a, a master of a house or something like that. But in Scripture, 90% of the time when we say Lord means divinity. When it's used in conjunction with Jesus, every time it means God, divinity. But I want to look at this and we'll blend on this, right? Let's have a look at this word expression, mother of God, because some people get really hung up about it. What is mother? Mother is one who gives birth. It's the English language. Any dictionary? God. What is God? He's the origin of everything. When we say mother of God, we are not saying that the origin of everything had a mother. Because that contradicts the very words that are on the screen. We're not trying to contradict the English language. The term mother of God says something else. It points to something new. It points to Jesus. If she's a mother, she gave birth. Who did she give birth to? She gave birth to a man who was God, Jesus, who is both God and man. And as we said before, if he's not God and man, then we're not saved. So don't let that term, Mother of God, um, fool you. So I think we will leave it there. Thank you very much and God bless. That was Paul Allard with Mary in Scriptures Part 2. For more from the Immaculata Mission School, visit cradio.org.au.